In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We know that in the Gospel, there are numerous occasions in which Jesus cures people. Often, these accounts of these cures are surrounded by many details, many little descriptive details that seem somewhat secondary, but because of their presence tend to point to the historicity of the Gospels. Like if you take the example in the Gospel of St. Mark, the story of Jairus and the woman with the blood flow, how Jairus goes up and asks uh, the Lord to heal his daughter. It's a very beautiful portrait of Jairus who is anguished and requesting help. And on the way, the episode of the woman who touches the Lord, the fringe of the Lord's cloak. And then the messengers that come and say it's too late that she has died. And as a result, the skeptical attitude uh, towards Jesus that he can do anything anyway. But Christ is tenacious, he keeps at it. And then we remember the atmosphere of um, extreme wailing and grief around the dead girl, which reflects also the culture of the time. That's how people would mourn in these external and public ways. And Jesus is telling them, she's just asleep. And you'll recall how when he sits down on the bed, he takes her hand and says, Talita kum. So the person watching the scene remembered the very words that infused life into her. Talita kum. I say to you, stand up, rise. There's a beautiful painting of this, of the Orientalist school in the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts by. Uh, German painter Gabriel von Max from 1895 and there you see this this woman this woman this little girl and she's very pale and she's still dead it looks like she's still dead and you can even see a, a fly on her you know and she doesn't shoo it off because like she's apparently dead and the Lord has just taken her hand and she's and she's, he's about to say Talitakum. And the title of the painting above, there's a text that says Talitakum. And um, Jesus is moving concern for this girl afterwards when she rises, that he, he's, that he says to them, Give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. He's going to concern about this material detail. All these things make one think that this is truly truly uh, an eyewitness account of an event. 
And today's gospel is quite similar. It's from, this case is from the gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13. When he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and we are told that there was a woman who had had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your infirmity. You know, just those first few lines, this would have taken place on his way to Jerusalem. Luke always mentions the fact that he's on his way to Jerusalem, like the, the definitive place where the passion and death is going to take place. But then, on the way there, there are these little accounts of miracles that seem to encapsulate, if you like, what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. This woman, you could say, was bent over with infirmity for 18 years, bent over with infirmity. It's, it's an image, a little bit of the passion he's going to undergo, but then she's, she's straightened up by him. She stands up just like the Lord would, would rise. And of course, in this case, it was Jesus who noticed this poor mo- woman and uses, he uses his power and his mercy to cure her. And of course, all the ordinary people, when they see this, they're very delighted. But we are told how some people are not delighted. She was made straight and she praised God. She was happy. She praised God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. He just couldn't, he just couldn't bring himself to rejoice at the fact that a person for 18 years had been crouched over like that. So the Lord wouldn't let that pass. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoicing at all glorious things that were done by him. Jesus really energetically censures this warped interpretation of the law and really stresses the need for mercy, for understanding. A mercy and an understanding that is very pleasing to God. And we see that any encounter with Jesus brings us that kind of healing, that kind of dignity. And that is because Jesus does not see us as we see ourselves, or for that matter, as others see us. She was ashamed, she was looking down, she only had this, this earthbound vision, all she could see were feet, her own feet, other people's feet, and basically the dirt. But in his eyes, we all have great value because we are beloved by God and made in his image. And the woman 
whom Jesus healed had been so stripped of her dignity that she was considered less important than a thirsty barnyard animal. He says, Doesn't, don't you take your donkey out to go to let it drink? They do that for the donkey, but they don't consider it valuable to free this woman. And he calls her daughter of Abraham. That is, a member of God's chosen people. And he healed her so that she could once more stand in the dignity of being a daughter of God. No longer, as he says, burdened by Satan. He says, Satan, I mean, Satan is evil, and he wants to burden us. He wants uh, to push us down, to make us lose a sense of our dignity. And of course, she had been there for 18 years, curved over, meaning she was only looking at her feet and the ground. She could not look up. And this meant that her vision was very limited. But of course, it also meant that she could not see Jesus. She did not have the just the ability to see him. But of course, the fact that she didn't have that ability, that because she was limited like that physically, she didn't have to have the, the initiative to ask for healing. As we see with blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus was blind, but he heard that Jesus was passing by, and he ran and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And as a result, he threw off his cloak when Jesus finally called him, threw off his cloak, the source of his security, and came to Jesus face to face, who healed him of his blindness. That took his initiative. This woman was simply, on the initiative of Jesus, healed. He saw her, he called her, and said, Woman, be set free. So she was set free. Meaning what does that mean? Be set free. He didn't say, stand up or, or go to your back. Might, might your back be straightened? Or... Be set free. Meaning she was shackled in a very kind of limited way of being, crouched over with what you might describe or as a symbol of human vision. Seeing everything through just a human lens. No supernatural vision at all. And to be set free and to stand erect is an image of seeing our life through the prism of God's love. Because as soon as she stood up like that now, the first thing she could really see, though she could see before, but now she could really see straight ahead. And straight ahead of her, standing in front of her, was our Lord Jesus Christ. Son of David. And that is what happens to us when we have supernatural vision. We see Jesus, we see the Lord, we see God as we stand up and go through our affairs. As St. Josemaria said in the way, most people have a plane-like vision stuck to the earth of two dimensions. When you live a supernatural life, God will give you the third dimension, height and with it perspective, weight and volume. And this, this came, this phrase, or this, this passage from, from uh, the way, about going from a plane-like vision, 
or earthly vision stuck to the earth, well, like this woman was, to developing a supernatural vision with height, perspective, weight, and volume. This came from a conversation that he had with a student back in the 1930s. We know this from the studies about the way, the analytical studies, and it captures intuitively really what it means to have a supernatural life. And the fruit of that supernatural life is to live in the presence of God. And that we're not only living in the presence of God when we're going and actually doing our prayer or something, but we go about our work, we go in the street, we do our, our, our studies, we're on the computer, we're in the presence of God. And one of his uh, classmates and one of the first members of the work at that time, his name was Isidoro Sorsano, he had looked over the copy sheets that were going to be used for the way and he was struck by that point. This was before it was actually published, but he was looking over the, you know, the typewritten notes. And so he, he wrote Jose Maria a letter. He wrote to him, he said, How right you are to consider in your spiritual advices, which was the way, that to possess his grace is to have or be gifted with a third dimension. A third dimension. And a third dimension for him was that supernatural life. And then after he says, in the way St. Josemaria says, if you lose the supernatural meaning of your life, if you lose the supernatural meaning, supernatural vision, supernatural inclination, what happens? He says, your charity will be philanthropy. Your purity, decency. Your mortification, stupidity. Your discipline, a whip or a lash. And all your works, fruitless. So imagine if we were to just do the things that we do for purely human motives. He said it would all be fruitless. And, and this dates to 1933, meaning that all the good virtues, all virtues, good things, charity, purity, mortification, are like a lifeless body if they lack supernatural life. And this is, you could say, this, this woman who now stands up is a symbol of the person who goes from living a merely human life to living a truly supernatural life. That's the, the action of grace in our soul. When you have a human vision, well, you're just looking down at the earth, you're just seeing the human consequences, what people think about you, how they react to you, whether they like you or don't like you, your success. But when you have supernatural life in your soul, you, you don't get attached to all those things. And you and I need to be men and women of a truly buoyant supernatural life which is full of hope that our true home is in God and that we are on our way there to our definitive home. We have to have that hope. We have to have that supernatural vision because there's a lot of pressures around us just to think in silly, merely human ways. I remember some years ago I think it was around 2013, 
There's a famous atheist journalist, Christopher Hitchens, who passed away since then, but he debated Tony Blair, who was the former uh, Prime Minister of England, and he debated him in Toronto. And the whole thing, this whole debate about basically the existence of God, seems to have turned out in favor of Christopher Hitchens, the atheist. He has a very combative nature, as many atheists do, and it's so it's as though it made Christians a little bit kind of ashamed to speak about eternity or celestial realities or spiritual realities, afraid to speak of these spiritual realities. And it's as though we're forced to speak about spiritual realities, you know, that these things are just private little devotions, they're private little visions, that we get some kind of narcissistic comfort from, and we should only devote ourselves to God in the privacy of our own little homes, and it's all just a private affair. It has no kind of public effect, it has no vision on our life in a, in a grander scheme, it's just, you know, when, before we go to bed, kind of thing. But in fact, if we do have a supernatural life, if we do have supernatural vision and presence of God, our faith leads us to be truly aware of those around us, to stand up as this woman was able to do. Because we are walking to God, we are on our pilgrimage to our destiny, to our purpose, but with many other pilgrims around us, they too want to get there. Some are like a, a car at the side of the road. They have no gas. The trunk is up. And they're looking for somebody to stop and help them. How do we help them? What's the best way we can help them? Those around us who are not, don't seem to be advancing towards God. Well, of course, we can give them formation and so forth, but, but the, the most important thing is that that we help them to develop a more supernatural life, like a, a vision of, of life that is imbued with a supernatural vision, which is really, of course, faith. This is a great apostle that we can do to stop others that are on the side of the road that are simply not advancing. Because we are, I would say that, we are swimming in the poisonous waters of rather aggressive secularism and like all the other isms out there science, like scientism it's opposed to true science or rationalism is opposed to true rationality or true reason secularism is opposed to true secularity that is the value of the things of this world there's always a distortion of some positive value which can make many countries of ancient Christian tradition kind of immune to the evangelical message of our Lord. And this woman of course ended up standing erect. She stood from being crouched for so long 
course, as we were saying, it's an image of the fact that Jesus rose. And that resurrection, of course, without the resurrection of Jesus, our faith is in vain. St. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, vain is your faith. It reminds us that we too will rise like this woman one day. At this point in the narrative, when Luke is always talking about him going towards Jerusalem, well, he would have talked more and more about his passion at the hands of men, that he would die, he would be crucified, but that he would rise again on the third day. The Son of Man will rise. And his enemies afterwards, after the crucifixion, including Pilate, remembered that he had said that he would rise. They remembered that. Even though they were certain that, they would, that he would not rise. But they were afraid that the apostles would come and steal away the body and then say that he had risen. So to guard against that kind of deceit, they went to Pilate and they asked him to keep watch with soldiers at the tomb for three days. And plus, they would put their own seal on the stone before the entrance. But of course, we know that resurrection had to happen, no matter what human means you try to stop it from happening, whether it's guards or a seal. Fulton Sheen describes this quite beautifully how certain they were that he would just never get out of that tomb because of that stone. He said, there was a seal placed on the sepulcher and a great stone rolled in front of the door. They took every precaution against fraud but could take none against divinity. They took precautions against fraud but not against divinity. They made their own way down Calvary's hill. Such thoughts as these ran through their minds. Now his fishermen can go back to their nets and their boats. Their kingdom is truly a mockery. As for their master, his heart was so pierced that blood and water came from it. Even though he had a breath of life left in a bloodless body, it is now being suffocated by the hundredweight of spices with which he was embalmed. Our vigilance and that of the soldiers will not permit anyone to steal away the body. He who said he had life in abundance is now dead, they said. He who said he could summon twelve legions of angels to his assistance now is cold as death. He who said he could raise up a child of Abraham from the stone is now buried under a stone. The imposter is dead. How wonderfully effective is Roman death. Nothing can survive crucifixion. He will never rise. But we know that the first question that was asked by the, the holy women, who shall roll away the stone. But of course, when they arrived, the stone was already rolled away. They went anyway, 
even though didn't know who was going to do it. So the reason for our sense of supernatural vision is that the stone has been rolled away and our Lord has already risen. Let's see how how voracious this, how, how, how stringent, how deep this supernatural vision can, can embed itself in my way of thinking. And if I ever I doubt, I have to go to, to that stone that has been rolled away. And there is our Lord, risen. Who is he who is truly dead, clearly testified, his heart pierced. And... Uh, our blessed Mother will intercede for us so that no matter what what difficulty you encounter, what challenge you encounter with others or with friends or in school, no matter what difficulty, there's always that that the light of supernatural vision, no matter what you do. It changes everything. It changes our reaction. It changes our joy. We'll discover the, the true joy of being sons and daughters of God with being able to stand up straight like this woman, not crouched to the ground, just seeing only the human dimension. Our Blessed Mother will intercede for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me. In this meditation, I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.